Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, thank you to our worship team. Fantastic job all day today. Hey, wherever you are, we take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen, so that's fine. We have one, Ephesians chapter 4. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Revert, uh, The Ultimate Guide to the Christian Life, How to Elevate Your Walk with God. And so we're looking at where we all want to get is that place with God where we can have that mystique in the Christian life, that mysteriousness where we feel like God's talking to us every day, walking us through life, we hear him speak to us. But in order to get there, that that deep part of the Christian life, we've got to go through some uh, things to get us there. And sometimes we call them disciplines in the Christian life. But really, I'm just trying to chart a path that here's the path all of us have to go through to get to that place where we want to get in our walk with God. And so it'll elevate our walk with God and we can't skip over those. So we've looked at all those prayer, uh, so many things. Today, I want to preach about this. I want to preach this subject, reverse the curse out of Ephesians 4. You say, well, what, what is that about? Well, the problem with the Christian life is this. The problem with the new life is this, is the old life won't leave me alone. The old life keeps bothering me. The old life keeps rearing its ugly head. The old life keeps making me or trying to cause me to do things I don't want to do anymore, but I can't get away from them. And so the old life won't leave me alone. And so the problem with the Christian life is not the new stuff I'm trying to do, but it's old stuff I can't get away from. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if I'm cursed. Like like my Christian life has some kind of curse over it. And Paul even said it this way later on. Paul said, hey, the things I want to do, I can't do those. And the things I don't want to do, I wind up doing those. And he didn't say it. I'm saying it's like we're cursed. Kind of like the curse of Murphy the Billy Goat. You, you may not have heard of the curse of Murphy the Billy Goat, but if you live in Chicago, you know exactly what the curse of Murphy the Billy Goat was. It was in 1945 when the Cubs were in game four of the World Series against the Detroit Tigers. And, and uh, tavern owner, it was called the Billy Goat Tavern, William Cianus, was at the ball game, game four of the World Series with his Billy Goat Murphy. And his billy goat was bothering some of the other fans. I can't imagine that, but just imagine the billy goat was there bothering the fans. So the fans complained and they, they got security and they threw William and Murphy out of the gate. Newspapers reported that when William stood up, he stood up and shouted this, them Cubs, they ain't going to win no more. And they didn't. Most people weren't sure what the curse was. They thought it would be that they lost that year. And in truth, they did lose game four and they went on to lose the World Series after that. And then it was 71 more years. They, the last time they'd won the World Series was in 1908, and now they were playing in 1945, and Murphy the Billy Goat cr- cursed them, and they didn't win it in 45, and they didn't win it for 71 more years until 2016, when they finally beat 
Cleveland in game seven in extra innings. But listen, in years that followed, the curse had profound effects. It followed them throughout history. For example, you, you may not get this, but it was in September 9th, 1969, that Ron Santos was uh, standing at, in the batter's box. And it was a pivotal game in the race for the National League East, newly created National League East. And the winner of the National League East was going to go to the World Series. And this game was so pivotal on September 9th. And while Ron Santos was in the batter's box, a black cat crossed his path. And they lost the game and the Mets went on to uh, uh, win the uh, game and to win the East and the Cubs were left out, and they said that Murphy, the billy goat, sent the black cat that day. <laughs> oh, but it gets worse if you're a Cubs fan or you were a Cubs fan because even non-Cubs fans know about October 14, 2003 in the eighth inning of Game 6 of the National League Championship Series. When the Cubs were ahead 3 nothing in the eighth inning, they were ahead three games to two. If they won this game, they would win, and they would go to the World Series. But as Moises Alou went up to catch a foul ball, there was a fan who reached over. Does anybody know his name? Steve Bartman. The Bartman became famous in a bad way in Chicago, having to hide himself for decades after he touched the ball because after this they not only didn't get out two but they gave up eight runs that inning lost game six eight to three and the Miami Marlins went on to beat them the next night in game seven and eventually win the World Series and everybody said it was the curse of Murphy the goat William Cianus was upset with the own curse he had placed on the Cubs. He had grown up in Chicago. He was his favorite team as well. And William Cianus tried several times to break the curse. Even after he passed away, his son, Sam Cianus, tried to break the curse as well. In 1984, Sam brought a goat to the game, opening day, 1984, named Murphy. And they made it to the playoffs that year, but didn't go anywhere. And he brought him again in 1989, and they made it to the playoffs, but went no farther. It wasn't until 2016 when they won 103 games. The first time in 108 years, I think it was, they'd won over 100 games. They won 103 games, and they eventually went on and won in extra innings in Game 7, and they won the 2016 World Series. It took them 71 years. 46 years to the day of William Cianus, the anniversary of his death. It took them 71 years to reverse the curse. Why do you tell us that story, preacher? Because as much as the Cubs felt cursed and they felt cursed, you and I feel that way in the Christian life sometimes too. We feel like that we were born with a curse. And can I give you the bad news? You were born with a curse. You were. 
You were, your mama was, your daddy was, I am. We're all born with a curse, and here's what it is. It is the curse of sin, because what happened was your mama was a sinner, and your daddy was a sinner, and they had a baby, and they had a sinner baby, and you were brought into this world with a curse on you. But the good news is, it doesn't take the death of a goat. It doesn't take something weird to happen. Once you become a Christian, Jesus on the cross broke our curse for us. And now when you're saved, you have the power of God. It doesn't take you 71 years to reverse the curse. Jesus has done it. But our daily job is to go about reversing the curse in our daily life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Christ did it on the cross. But it's my job to appropriate that victory every day of our lives. We call that process sanctification. But sanctification ain't easy. Sanctification is lifting the curse of sin off our daily life. How do you do that? How do you get rid of that curse of this old body that I don't want to do the things that I'm doing and I want to do the things I'm supposed to do, but I can't hardly do it. I'm going to battle all the time. How do I reverse the curse? Well, Paul told us. So if you're one of our physical campuses, would you stand up with me as we read God's word? It'll be on the screen no matter where you are. Look in Ephesians chapter 4 and look at what Paul said in verse 17 about reversing the curse. Ephesians 4, 17, Paul said this, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. Verse 20, that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and the righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, verse 25, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Thank you. You may be seated. Reverse the curse. Paul told the Ephesians church that it is possible. It does happen every day in our lives. And there is a process for reversing the curse. So can I give you five things today that will help you reverse the curse in your life? Here they are. Number one is this. You can't do what you used to do. Now look at what he said in verse 17. That you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So when you see the word Gentiles, know this. Uh, don't think Jew and Gentile. Think saved and unsaved. Lost and saved. This is the unsaved, far from God, lost person. So here's what, here's what Paul was trying to say, that you should no longer walk as a lost person walks. You should no longer work, walk as a person far from God's walk, walks. You should no longer walk as an unbeliever walks. Now, let me tell you who Paul was writing to. He was writing to the unbelievers that were in Ephesus. And listen, the, the unbelievers in Ephesus were very, very sinful. 
The, in the Roman Empire, the church at Ephesians, that, that whole city of Ephesus was kind of the center of Roman culture. It was the center of Roman commerce. It was also home of the pagan temple of the goddess Diana that the war- Romans worshipped. And if you remember history, the, the temple of Diana was, was one of the seven wonders of the world. So you've got this magnificent temple in all the world in Ephesus, and you've got this, this worship of Diana. Now get this, the worship of Diana involved the worst immorality imaginable. Now hear me, not, I'm not talking about what's going on in the street, I'm talking about in the church of Diana. Worshiping her involved the most wicked immorality you can possibly imagine in, in, in the temple, in the temple. And it filtered down into all of Ephesus. So Ephesus became this wicked, wicked, sinful place where temple prostitution was the norm, where crime was on every hand, where immorality reigned, where idolatry and every conceivable form of sin abounded. You name it, they did it worse. And so this church at Ephesus was saved out of that horrible, immoral lifestyle. And Paul said, you came out of that lifestyle. You were probably worshipers of Diana. You were worshipers of the things. You were involved in all that immorality. So Paul said this, but now you have found Christ. So get this, here's what Paul said. Now that you've found Christ, don't live the way you used to live before you found Christ. Right? That's your story. There's the way I live before Christ. I found Christ and the way I should live after Christ. And Paul said this, if you found Christ, don't go back. And try to live like you were before Christ. Paul portrays the unconverted mind. He uses this word, futility of their thoughts. It means literally that they were focused on the things that would not matter standing before the throne of God. Did you hear me? They were focused on things that would not matter standing before the throne of God. That word futility there meant, meant meaninglessness, uselessness, worthlessness, emptiness. That's a pretty good summation of your life without Christ. Your life without Christ meant this. Your mind is on all of the things that do not matter. Your life is full of the things that are far from God. That's our life before Jesus. We live this life before Christ that our mind was not where it ought to be. Our life was not uh, where it ought to be. And all of a sudden, we are wonderfully saved. And Paul said, now here's your command. All those things you used to do, don't, don't do them anymore. Because you know why you came to Christ? Hear me, you know why you came to Christ? Because you didn't like the way your life was headed. Now and for eternity. Right? There was a day in your life when you came to Jesus, when you had tried everything the world offered, you had sat at the world's table, you had, you had uh, tasted all of its delicacies, and you found yourself wanting, you found yourself empty, you found your life with no meaning whatsoever. And then here came Jesus. And Jesus said, I can give you a life of meeting. I can give you a life. And then look, somewhere along the way, this thought crossed into your mind. I feel eternal. Where am I going to spend eternity? And while you were living a meaningless life, while your mind was on all the wrong things, while you were doing all the wrong things, and while you were, while you were pondering purpose in eternity, Christ stepped in and said, I I can take care of all that. And you found him as the Lord and Savior of your life. So here's what Paul is saying. You lived a meaningless life before Christ. You found Christ who gave you meaning and purpose. Now answer this question, church at Ephesus. 
why are you trying to go back and live the way you used to live? You didn't like it back then. You got tired of it back then. It felt empty back then. So now that you found Christ, do not try to go back because once you've tasted and seen, Hebrews said, that Christ is good, why would you ever want to go back to that old lifestyle? You know, we, we got our grandson here, Sherry had him here at the 930 service, and, you know, it's truth our babies, it's truth your babies. Uh, you remember feeding your, your, your kid baby food? Let's be honest. If you're at home, you, you answer this. Rossville here in the room. Let's be honest. How many of you tried your kid's baby food to see what it tastes like? Let me see your hand. You tried it. You tried it. Let's be honest. How many of you thought it was terrible the moment you ate it, right? You thought it was terrible. What would you expect? It's mashed up peas. It's mashed up beets. And worse than that, it's mashed up meat in a jar. Meat is not supposed to be turned into a pudding and put into a jar. But you know what's the thing about your one-year-old? You, you give your one-year-old baby food, you try to take it away from him, he'll fight you over that jar of mashed up chicken, won't he? Like he wants his mashed up chicken. He wants his mashed up beets. Like he thinks that mashed up peas and mashed up beets, and no offense to Gerber if the president of Gerber happens to be watching today. Like, you know, I'm good, thankful for my kids or whatever. But, but that's not the way food is supposed to be eaten, but kids don't know. Kids think this is what we do when they go to bed at night. And your kid thinks that mashed up baby food is the best thing in the world until he gets a Dorito in his mouth. <laughs> and all of a sudden, your little one-year-old's like, well, depending on what age you give your kid Doritos, that's a personal preference, right? I get it. But, but all of a sudden, that one-year-old's like, whoa, why have my parents been giving me mashed up beets when there's a thing such as Doritos that exists in the world? Maybe you're healthier with your kids and you gave them Pringles instead of Doritos for all the health freaks out there, you know. Now, it, look, sometimes it'll take you about two weeks, but I want to tell you the more of the real Dorito food a kid gets, the less of the baby food mashed up beets a kid wants. I can prove it to you now. Your teenagers are probably not eating baby food on a regular basis. Now, I'll admit, the bananas tasted pretty good back in the day, but that's about the only thing there was. But once you got Doritos, macaroni and cheese, Pringles, and all that stuff that makes us healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Once you got all that stuff, you're not walking down the aisle at Publix saying, if I just had some pureed chicken, I would really be living again. But you know, it's exactly what you do in the Christian life. You were eating out of the devil's trough and it was terrible and it was not satisfying. It was doing nothing for you. And you got a taste of Jesus once you got saved. And for some unknown reason, we tend to have this, we have this tendency to stray back to the old way of life. And it didn't satisfy us then. And can I tell you, it won't satisfy you now. 
One reason you're struggling in the Christian life is because you're trying to live the way you used to live with that meaningless, empty, far from God. And I'm trying to remind you this morning, that wasn't the good life. Turn around, walk away, go the other direction. You cannot, you'll never reverse the curse still trying to hold on to that. You'll never reverse the curse still trying to live that way. It didn't satisfy you then. That's why you came to Christ. It'll never satisfy you now. You can't do what you used to do. Second thing I want to tell you is this. This is not a typo. Hang with me for just a moment. You, you want to reverse the curse, you have to take a bath and change clothes. And I have a photo of me in the bathtub. If I weigh this, I don't. I don't. I don't. Shame on you for looking, though. But um, <laughs> let me show you verse 20, several verses. Let me show you. But that is not all how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth so literally here's what the verse says the verse literally says take off your old clothes take a bath put on your new, new clothes the verb that I showed you in the beginning to put off or to take off is in the aorist tense in the Greek it means a once and for all action which is you take that old self that old habit that old sin and you take it off for good and then the Bible says this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is, you let God give you a bath. You let God cleanse your mind. You let the word of God cleanse your life and the Holy Spirit of God cleanse your life. So I take off my old stuff. I, I get cleansed or I literally take a bath in Christ. And then I put on the new man. By the way, that bathing uh, word that's used, that renewed, is in the present tense in the Greek. And it means continuous activity. So once and for all, I lay down that old sin. Then every day of my life, I'm, I'm taking a bath in God. I'm renewing my mind with the Word of God. I'm letting the Holy Spirit do His work in my life. There's this continuous, continuous bathing of my life in Jesus. And then I put on, he said in verse 24, I put on the new self. It's the two words. The take off was literally words for taking off old clothing and the put on is literally the Greek words for putting on new clothing. It's the same Greek word that's found in Galatians 3, Romans 13, Colossians 3 that says put on Christ. Like a garment you put Christ on. Now here's the process every day in my life. You take off the old, you take a bath, you put on the new. You take off the old you, 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 you be renewed in Christ Jesus and you put on the new you. How do you start living the life of victory and freedom that every believer wants? Here it is. Daily you take off the old clothes and once you've taken those off you bathe your mind in Christ and the Holy Spirit and his word and then you, you put on the new. Look, you take a bath every day you need to take one physically and take one spiritually every day let me give you the process like this so here's what happens the holy spirit of god brings something to your mind that is still the old man say for example you have a temper and the holy spirit of god says you know what that temper is not christ-like the way you get angry and shout and scream that's that's not christ-like that's not what jesus did that's not the way jesus acted. so here's here, here's what the holy spirit says the holy spirit says you need to take that off so you come over here and you say, Holy Spirit, I want to take that temper off me. I want to get rid of that temper. I want to be done with that temper. I want to lay it down. And he says, all right, you lay it down once and for all. Well, now what do I do? He said, now, you know what? Why don't you get the word of God and why don't you let the spirit of God? And let me just, let me just bathe you in Christ. Let me, you, you dive into that word. Find out what's bad about a temper. Find out the way you should act and let the spirit of God, Lord, I've laid it down. I'm getting rid of that temper. I'm done with it. It's not helped me at all. And now let me take a bath in Christ every day. And now, now, now what do I do right here? And he he says, all right, you don't get rid of a temper by just getting rid of a temper. You get rid of a temper by taking a bath and then 
putting on something different. Well, what, what's different? Well, the new man is kind. The new man is patient. The, the, the new life in Christ, you're to have self-control. Well, I don't know how good I am at all that. Well, you, you laid down the temper over there. You took your bath in Jesus. Now let's start on this. I took off the old clothes. I took a bath. I put on the new. Works for habits. It works for attitudes. It works for the way you talk. It works for the thoughts in your life. You take off the old. You renew yourself in Christ. And you find out what would Jesus do. And listen, you're watching today. And there's still those things that you have got to lay down in your life. And just, and just get rid of them. And be renewed. And do what should be done third thing you reverse the curse number three by starting with the simple things this point is so good when you see it in the bible he says therefore putting away lying speak truth each one to his neighbor because we're members of one another be angry and do not sin don't let the sun go down on your anger don't give the devil an opportunity let the thief no longer steal instead he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need no foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good for building up someone in need so it gives grace to those who hear. Now, look at what Paul does. Paul deals with, so here, here we're in this wicked city of Ephesus. Like gross, gross immorality. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, look, look with me. If you don't, I'm going to read to you. But look at verse, seven, uh, verse 19 in your Bible, right? Let me tell you what Paul said about Ephesus. He said, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That, that's pretty bad language. You know what Paul said? Paul said the, the, the wickedness at Ephesus, they were inventing new ways to sin. And they craved more and more. That's, that's pretty bad. I want to be honest with you, that, that's pretty bad. Ephesus was inventing new ways to sin, and they craved more and more sin. So when you go back and read about the worship of Diana, you go back and study. that. Listen, the, the immorality that was going on, I would not even mention in a church service. It's so wicked. So you can imagine Paul's about to get up to preach, right? So Paul's about to get up to preach a sermon. He gets down on his knees and said, he said, God, help me deliver the sermon. These people, Lord, they came out of a wicked lifestyle. They're all like, God, I'm just going to, we got some guests here today, and I'm going to let them have it, Lord. Both barrels, you tell me. I, I mean, I got an idea what I'm going to preach on, God. You tell me what my sermon's going to be about today. And, and God looks at Paul, and he said, here's what I want you to do. Man, this is going to be good, Paul. Let me tell you what you're going to do. Tell them to stop lying. <laughs> Paul, I'm not at, uh, God, I'm not at Jerusalem. I'm at Ephesus, God. Lying is the least of their problems. Because it's just for today. Preach on don't lie. All right, I'll, I'll do it, Lord. And as Paul gets up and preaches sermon on lying. And the next week, he's like, God, here we are again. I, I got them. More people are here today. God, there are some wicked people out here, Lord. They are some, I'm talking about God, rough, rough people. Tell me, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to preach on God, but you tell me what you want me to do. And God said, hey, do this, Paul. This is going to be good. Preach on don't be angry. <laughs> it's like, God, hey, maybe you don't know where I am. Like, Maybe, maybe you're busy in heaven, God. I get it, a lot going on in the world. I'm in Ephesus, and it's a really, really, like, God, look, on the streets, look. God said, just tell them, tell, them to, tell them, don't be angry, and to make up with everybody every day when they feel like they're in a bad place with them. All right, God, I'll do it. And then next week, God's like, preach on don't steal, but to be honest and be a giver and don't be a taker. 
Lord, I'm telling you, I'm doing it, God, but this is not what they need. There, I got some Old Testament verses for this group right here. And he's like, no, 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 no. Tell them, tell them, work hard, be honest, and be a giver, not a taker. And the fourth week, Paul's there. You know, Paul's like, just tell me, Lord, I don't even know. God's like, here's what you do. Tell them not to use foul language. And by foul language, it just didn't mean profanity. It obviously meant that. But it meant, it meant hurtful, destructive language. And, and God said, tell, tell them to do this, Paul. Tell them don't, don't use foul language, but tell them to use their words to encourage and bless other people. Whatever, Lord, I'll do it. Can I tell you this? Of all the horrible sins Ephesus were known for, was known for, lying, anger, laziness, and foul language were not any of them. Why would God have Paul dwell on those simple things? And it's a lesson you need to know. It'll change your life because God understood the principle of small wins in your life. We're just beginning to touch the iceberg of that in in our day. Harvard professor and researcher, uh, Teresa Amabile did the research, and here's what she said when they tracked the research and found out that small and incremental wins do wonders for your motivation in boosting your self-confidence. As a matter of fact, here's what she discovered, that when you achieve something, no matter how small it is, by the way, the reaction is no different internally when you achieve something big. It's all the same. It's all the same. When you do something small, your brain's reward mechanism kicks in. Your brain releases testosterone and dopamine, which makes your brain say, I really like this feeling. And it gives you more energy, more confidence, and more motivation, get this, to tackle the next issue. Literally, science tells us that. No matter how small the win. So the church at Ephesus was horrible. The, the, the city of Ephesus were horrible. Their sins that they had come out of were so, so terrible. You wouldn't speak them in mixed company. And God said, do this. Let's start with lying. And we learned the principle of small wins and starting with the small things. So get this. You say, how does that apply to my life? Because I know how you go about the Christian life. It's the same way I want to go about the Christian life. We all do it wrong. We've got all these little sins that are like little pebbles in our life. And, and man, it may be lying. It may be anger. maybe attitude. maybe bitter. It's all these little things. But we all got that big rock in our life. You know, like the big rock, like the giant rock. Like this is the thing. And like this is what we do. We spend all of our time beating our life against this big rock. God, I'm going to stop this and God I'm going to conquer this and God I'm going to get over this and God I'll whip it God I'll whip it but you know what happens all the time is you keep beating your head against it and it keeps knocking you out all the while God's saying hey guess what I'm the God of all patience I, I know you've got this big old thing in your life we're going to get rid of that that, that I agree with you that's horrible can I do this would, would you clean up the way you talk yeah, but Lord, that, that, that doesn't compare to, I, I know, we're going to get there. Let, let's clean up the way we talk. Let, let, let's get your finances in order. Let's get your church attendance in order. Let's get all these other things. You know what? When, when I start clicking these little things off the list, can I tell you this, this big rock, it doesn't seem so big anymore. 
because I have learned the power of small. And I'm not saying this ought to take a lifetime. I'm not saying this ought to take forever. I'm saying sometimes you need some motivation and momentum and confidence to get up to this point. And this thing doesn't seem as big anymore. And listen, you're here today and you're thinking, oh, but preacher, if you knew that big thing in my, I don't know what is in your life. I know what it was at Ephesus and it was bad. And if yours is that bad, you're right. But yours is probably not that bad. And the power of small wind says, you just start clicking them off the list, and you'll bid that momentum and confidence in your life where you can, t- and that's why God said, hey, tell them this, Paul, tell them to quit lying to each other. God, I get it. Just, I have a plan, Paul. Fourth thing you need to know about reversing the curse is this. Know this, that if you give the devil an inch, he'll take your life. Here's what he said, powerful verse, verse 27. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Now that word opportunity in the Greek is almost always translated three ways. Opportunity, place, or room. Opportunity, place, or room. So don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil a place. Don't give the devil room. Because here's what happens in our lives is we let the devil move into our domain. We let the enemy move into our lives. We give him a room in our lives. We give him a place in our lives. We give an opportunity in our lives. And we think it's not that big a deal. But I'm going to tell you, if you give the devil anything, he'll take it all away from you. You say, how do I know? Hang with me. I'm going to give you some language that lets you know you're giving the devil room. When you hear yourself saying things like this, well, it's not that big of a deal. You've just pulled up a chair for the devil in your life. When you say things like this, well, I'm just going to do it one more time. Just, just one more time. You, you've given the devil an inch. When you say something like this, well, I can handle it. I, I got this. I can handle it. I can stop or start any time. You've given the devil room. How about this one? It's just a little sin. Just, you've pulled up a love seat for the devil in your life. How about this one? I, no one will ever find out. You might as well hand the devil the keys to your life. I want to tell you, Christian, you, you can't afford to surrender an inch to the devil. He'll take your life. And if you want to reverse the curse in your life and start living a victorious Christian life and winning a spiritual warfare, listen to me. You can't give the devil any place. It's all got to go. It's all got to go. Number five, you want to reverse the curse. Number five, don't hurt the one trying to help. He says in verse thirty. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. That word grief carries with it such, it's a, such a depth in the emotional word. It, it, it's a, such a depth, a word full of depth and emotion. It meant pain, hurt, grief, regret. It was a, it was a, it was a word that was full of hurtful emotion. And here's, here's what Paul said. That listen, the Holy Spirit has been placed in your life for one reason. To help you reverse the curse. What do you mean? Here we are. The Holy Spirit, he's in your life. You know what he does? He nudges you when you have the old man on display. That old man you're supposed to take off and you're living like the old man. The, old, the, the Holy Spirit will come along and be like, hey, 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 hey. It's not the way you're supposed to be acting if you know Jesus. We call that conviction in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, like, hey, no, 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 no. That feeling you get when you're doing wrong, that's the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you don't get the feeling, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just be sure of that. But the Holy Spirit's job is to say, oh, no, no, stop. That's him. 
The Holy Spirit's job is to say, hey, hey, every day, hey, help me. Every day, let's read the Bible to renew your mind. Read the Bible to renew your mind. Every day, the Holy Spirit's job is, hey, here's how Christians act. Here's what Christ would do. Here's how Christ would talk to your spouse. Here, here's how Christ would talk to your kids or your parents. Here's how Christ would run a business. Here's how Christ, what kind of... And when we ignore all of that, the Bible says we literally hurt him, cause him grief and pain. God, grief and pain. Don't hurt the one trying to help. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. You want to reverse the curse? You have to be sensitive to God speaking to your life through the person of the Holy Spirit, and you'll reverse the curse. Close your Bibles. I'm finished. July 30th, 2020, despite being in the middle of a pandemic, NASA launched the, the Mars Perseverance rover to the red planet, to Mars. It's out there looking for rock and soil samples it's going to send back to Earth one day. It's looking for signs of microscopic life and looking for signs of ancient life. Um, it costs $2.4 billion to send this little thing out to uh, space, out to Mars. But NASA has a protocol. By the way, every agency who deals in outer space has signed an international treaty that says this, you won't let any germs leave Earth and go into outer space. So if you're going into outer space, you have to totally decontaminate. De de is that the right word? Yeah, decontaminate. Whatever's going into space. And if you go to another planet, especially true, you can't let any germs go on there. And so uh, they really go through an extensive process to get rid of all the germs. As a matter of fact, well, the process they go through, I mean, you read about it, Popular Mechanics is where I read about this. It's just staggering and stifling, staggering and stifling what they do. Uh, for example, if you worked in the clean room where the perseverance was being built, if you worked in that clean room, NASA dictated when and if you could take a bath. Because they didn't want you to bathe a lot. Because they wanted oils on your skin to keep germs on your body and not transfer them. They dictated when and if you could use soap. Most couldn't use soap. They dictated when and if you could use deodorant. And most couldn't use deodorant. So you imagine how fun it was to work at NASA, right? Basically, you're like going on middle school youth camp or football camp. Same thing as working at NASA. But they constantly tested it to see if there were germs on it while it was in that clean room before they lost it. As a matter of fact, while they were building it, NASA said they did 11,601 swabs looking for germs, bacteria. They swapped it 2,534 times looking for germs and bacteria. All of that Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. All of that to keep a germ from going from here to there. In other words, they didn't want to contaminate its new life with its old life. And if they're that meticulous about germs going to Mars, which I'm pretty sure does not matter. The perseverance will not stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. It'll burn up when the rest of the world is gone. But if they're that meticulous about keeping the old germs out of the new life, how much more should you be and should I be? 
How much attention should I be paying to reversing the curse in my life? And understanding I can't do what I used to do, that didn't satisfy me anyway. To understand that every day I have this challenge called sanctification, which is putting off the old man, taking a bath in Christ, and putting on the new man. I got to start with the simple things, and God will give me victory in those simple things that I know I can't give the devil not even one inch, or he'll take my whole life. And whatever I do, I can't hurt the one who's trying to help me, the Holy Spirit of God. You'll, you'll reverse the curse. How much attention are we paying to that? Would you stand with me across the building? At home, don't go away. At home, don't go away. But here in the room and at Rossville, would you stand with me? Wherever you are, take a moment and bow your heads. Wherever you are, just take a moment and bow your heads. And if you're a Christian, here's what I want you to do. For the next minute, I want you to spend time talking to God about that thing in your life he's already probably talked to you about. Would you just do it now? Just do it now. Now, if you're not a Christian, no matter where you are, whether you're at Rock Spring, Rossville, or whether you're at home, if you're not a Christian, would you look right this way? Because the way you start reversing the curse is by becoming a Christian. Now, Christians' heads are bowed, but if you're not a Christian, I want you looking right up here at the screen. Because the most important thing is for you to start the process in your life. And you start it by becoming a Christian. And that's as simple as ABC. You don't have to work for it, earn it. Here it is. ABC. A, you admit you're a sinner, can't save yourself, can't work your way to heaven, can't earn your way to heaven. You can, I can't, nobody ever has been able to but Jesus. You've got to admit that. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day and put your faith in him to save you. And C, you have to confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not a Christian today, you can be right now. And God's brought you to this moment. He's brought you to this time. He's brought you to this service. He's brought you to this message. And he's brought you to this second. You could be watching this sermon a week from now, a month from now. It's still true for you. God's brought you here for this moment. And right now, you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to lead you in prayer to help you do that. It's not the words you say, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you bow your heads and pray a prayer like this with me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose again on the third day. I believe that by faith. And so just now I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, only if you prayed that prayer with me, would you look up here, you are born again. And we want to send you a booklet that tells you the next things to do in the Christian life. And all you need to do is text, I did, to the number 97,000. No matter when you watch this, no matter if it's weeks or months from now, text, I did, to the number 97,000. Where the phone number goes, 97000. Where the text goes, I did, no spaces. That'll start a conversation and we'll get you the material out you need. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm finished. What is it, Christian, you've been talking to God about? It's time to lay it down, renew yourself, and put on the new. Quit trying to live that old way. It's not going to work. Quit giving the devil an inch. He's trying to take your life. Let the Holy Spirit help you. Father, just when you see the words in Scripture... You barely need the sermon because the scripture speaks so directly to our hearts as believers that we know, we, we know where we failed you. We know where we're short. We know what we've done. And 
Lord, if we don't, your spirit is there to tell us. And that process of sanctification, winning that spiritual battle and that warfare takes place in our lives every day. But Lord, too often we lose. And today help us reverse the curse and begin winning, knowing greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. So give us great victories in our lives. No matter how small we think they are, just build and build and build and build and have us lay down the old, renew ourselves and take up the new and be victorious in Jesus and reverse that curse. And we love you. Thank you for the power that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.